like the, you don't need much from the clinic. And so they are better off having you in their arsenal. Like, so every clinic should have a a number of these scholarships in their arsenal. Welcome to Inside Reproductive Health, the shop talk of the fertility field. Here you'll hear authentic and unscripted conversations about practice management, patient relations, and business development from the most forward-thinking experts in our field. Wall Street and Silicon Valley both want your patience, but there is a plan if you are willing to take action. Visit fertilitybridge.com to learn about the first piece of building a fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Now, here's the founder of Fertility Bridge and the host of Inside Reproductive Health, Griffin Jones. On today's episode, I talked to Pamela Hirsch. Pam started Baby Quest. It is a scholarship for those undergoing fertility treatment. They've awarded $2.3 million so far, just have had their 120th baby born from the scholarship. I'm going to go into the details of why this is so pivotal at the finance stage between consult and treatment inside the fertility center to have relationships with scholarship programs like this and have education about them. Today's shout out is going to go to Dr. Laura Shaheen. Dr. Shaheen hit me to Baby Quest. She was a board member for time, still maybe as far as I know, but at least she was. And I don't know if I've shouted out Dr. Shaheen. I may have. I don't really keep track of the shout outs, guys. So please let Laura know that I shouted her out on this episode. And if I already did, well, two shout outs is just fine. It's good to be benevolent with your shout outs. On today's episode, it's not that Baby Quest is the only good scholarship program. And I feel like people are going to be like, why the hell didn't you mention mine? I'm sorry. ACG scholarship is another really good one. There's, there's a few more that I'm forgetting that people are probably going to remind me of in the emails, but they should, and they should be on your list as well. So finance is one of the stickiest points of moving people from consult to treatment and having a list of scholarships and having different places that people can apply is the final catch for those that aren't able to get employer coverage, aren't able to get insurance coverage, maybe you can't get a loan, maybe you can't get money from friends and family. It's important that you have all of those steps. We want to reduce the number to as minimal as possible of people that can't afford treatment and scholarships are your last line of defense. Everybody needs to have them. And so we talk about what that's like with Pam and how they interface with clinics and pay clinics, frankly, a lot more easily than many insurance companies do. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Pam Hirsch. Ms. Hirsch, Pam, welcome to Inside Reproductive Health. Thank you. Thank you for having me here today. You were brought to my attention. Your organization was brought to my attention by some people that have been on your board. And I do get a lot of requests from nonprofits to come on the show. And sometimes I have them on and other times I'm too busy. And sometimes it's a little bit of luck of the draw. So I hope people don't hate me that have wanted to be on the show, but haven't been. But Baby Quest I knew of because I knew some of the docs that have been on your board for the few years. Today, I want to talk about how you work with uh, or how you interact with 
with clinics, but let's first just start off with some of the backstory of BabyQuest. You've awarded more than $2 million at this point. You've got, uh, you have almost 120 babies born. You've got 10 pregnancies right now from BabyQuest funds. So let's just talk about how you got there and what it is that got you there. And actually, to correct you, as of yesterday, we have 120 babies. There we go. 20th was born yesterday in Dallas. Ah, what a milestone. Um, it is. Um, I started Baby Quest almost 10 years ago. It will be 10 years since we've given out the first grant this March, March 2022. will be 10 years. And I was totally out in a different area, a different workspace than fertility. I was one of the founders of a group called the Princeton Review Test Prep Company. And I had worked in education for a long time. And after I sold my part of the company, very soon after, our younger daughter started to experience issues trying to have a child. And she and her husband first, um, she had a miscarriage, then there was Clomid, then there were many IV, IUIs. And then four IVFs, each ending in miscarriage, till it was discovered that she needed to have a child via surrogacy because she couldn't carry. And this opened my eyes to the world of infertility and seeing the disparity of those who can afford procedures such as IVF and surrogacy and those who can't and the fact that many people don't have insurance coverage for this. So that's when I started BabyQuest in March um, of 2012. That was when we first gave out our first grant. And that was maybe $9,000, two grants, one very small, one for IUI, one larger one, produced the first baby in Reno, Nevada. And since then, we've grown considerably. We, as, I, as you said, we've given out over $2.3 million now and 120 babies and counting. And we do this twice a year giving out grants. So how did you start to get some doctors on your board? How did you even get a board? If I look at your, sure. if I look at your board, I recognize by five, six, seven names on here. And so how did that come to be? Um, well, let's see. When I first started, I pretty much saw somebody on the street and said, oh, you want to be on my board? You know, I have no idea what, whether we'll be able to be around next year, but, you know, here's the idea. And as we progressed, obviously, we became more selective. And I started going to some conferences and I met some amazing doctors. I actually knew Dr. Mark Kalin first here in Encino or Los Angeles. And then eventually, by word of mouth, because of what we were doing, connected with several other doctors. I believe we have six doctors from all around the country on our board now. And we were very fortunate to have their expertise to guide us in the medical part of evaluating applicants. So how do you evaluate applicants? One of the things that I look at from a fertility patient journey standpoint is you first you attract their attention and, and, and educate them on the problem that they're facing, then educate them on your approach to solving the solution. Then you have to get them into the office. And there's a gap from when they contact you to when they actually come in and people can fall off there. And then you get them in the office and you 
you ostensibly educate them or test them depending on when follow-up or the first visit comes, but then you have a gap between that consult and treatment. And in that, that, so between the second and third phases, finance is, is hugely at play. And so anything with finance, we try to help with the system that people use on the clinic side and the information that patients are prepared with beforehand, but you're coming in, you, you are helping with that, but 120 people out of, out of all of the people that need help, of course, you are, you're helping as many people as you can. And that's a fraction of who needs help. So how do you make that decision? Right. Well, first of all, as far as when the people consult us, we, we get applicants after they've been sitting in the business office and they know what their pl treatment plan is. They need IVF, they need surrogacy, they need sp egg donor, sperm donor, gen um, genetic testing to eliminate cystic fibrosis or Tay-Sachs, something like that. And they sit there at the, in the financial counselor's office and they learn what the price tag is and they start to cry and realize that they don't have the money. And that's when people start to do their research on what's out there for me. You know, my insurance won't cover this. My employer, you know, won't cover this. What kind of resources are out there? So that's generally when somebody reaches out to us and when they apply. And we have two grant cycles a year. We receive hundreds of applications. And we, as many applications are good, we just are obviously strapped by how many donations we get, and we can only give out the amount of money that we have. So it's a very selective process. And the way applicants are selected, there are several committee levels. Our board consists not just of the doctors that you mentioned that will come into play, but also of financial people, of women's health advocates, of surrogacy agency owners, of people who have dealt with infertility in their own lives and have a, a, an expertise in the subject, whether it's personal or you know professional. So the first round of applications is looks in the application is looked at, does this include everything? Did the person submit a doctor's eval? Did they, is everything there? That's the first round. Next round, we have a fantastic committee of seven people around the country, and we go through the applications one by one, and we eliminate. Is the person asking for more than what we can, can give? Just a myriad of, of different different criteria. Are you investigating their coverage as well? Like they broke down in the financial office, but wait, turns out they actually do have progeny coverage. Yes, they submit their insurance information. And we don't do that for everybody, but we do that when it becomes, when the group is more limited. We can't do that for hundreds. And there's many that, that are just, you know, if somebody is, is asking for $50,000, we can't give that to one person. And the thing with our grants is that if somebody needs $10,000, uh, for instance, their procedure is 15,000 and they have 5,000 of their own, they need $10,000. If we give them a thousand and say, we're giving a grant, what is that person going to do other than save money for another five years and not be able to proceed? So our grants cover 
the major portion of what the treatment plan is, whether it be IVF, surrogacy, egg donation, sperm donation, egg freezing, embryo donation, whatever. So after the first two committees, uh, we have a financial person who looks at the application. Does the person, does the applicant seem to be spending their money wisely? Do they have three cars? For two people, do they? How you know? Is there? Are, do they have enough in their savings, but they just don't want to contribute it? They'd rather have somebody else pay for it. Things like that. Then, after the financial committee looks at the application, the finalists go to the medical doctors, and those are the doctors that you mentioned—five or six doctors who look at the same medical piece of information for each of the finalists, and they give us their judgment on. This person has a decent chance to have a viable pregnancy. You um, get five or six judgments back when you do that? Yes. <laughs> I will say yes. Very true. And it makes you realize that this is not a precise science whatsoever. You're 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 totally right on that. There are certain times when there is just something there that maybe we haven't caught and the doctors will say, oh no, this is just not gonna work. And if that person is consistently low on every evaluation, we realize this is not a good candidate, but it's difficult. There is no perfect solution. Every single time we've done this, we have improved it. We've made corrections. We've become more diligent and there's, it's, there's no perfection unless we had a million dollars and then we could give money to everybody, but that that's not going to happen. Well, speaking of a million dollars, how have you raised the 2.3 that you've been able to distribute thus far? Groveling at first because. To, to <laughs> whom, to anybody that you could have a cocktail party with in LA, who, who are the first people that you groveled to? Friends, friends whose charities I had donated or my husband, and I had donated to for years and years and cocktail parties and not fun chicken dinners that cost $500 a person that we had gone to for many years and I had never called in any favors so that they were first on my list and I didn't make any enemies so that's good and then word of mouth and then social media it just grew you know I've been very fortunate in business and I just run, you know, even though I came from the for-profit world, I really run BabyQuest as a business. Um, and hopefully I'm very fiscally prudent in the choices that we've made. And we, we just, it, part of it is luck. And the other part is a lot of hard work. So the first was from, from friends and in, in, in growing the network. When did it become fundraisers or now do you have a systematic approach for who um, do you have any corporate philanthropy how has it grown sure started out as individuals probably crying when or screaming when i got my first check that was over a hundred dollars kept on like that for a while then we started with some small fundraisers again like hikes or what did we do small cocktail parties just telling people little luncheons telling people about baby quest and it kept growing word of mouth and now we do have a much more structured program we offer the giving hope grant which is for companies or corporations if they contribute a minimum of twelve thousand dollars on a yearly basis they can choose 
to adopt one of our recipients. And that has happened a couple to several times. We have couples who've come along who have been very fortunate with their own um, journey to parenthood through IVF or surrogacy. And they've been, they acknowledge the fact that they have been fortunate financially. So they want to pay it back. So they come to us and they say, you know, here's a grant, here's a donation of $10,000. We want to help a particular couple. They can remain anonymous or they can actually communicate with the couple who they more or less adopt. And that has happened, you know, several times, quite a bit as well. But we're can really- couples earmark a, a, a scholarship? At, earmark's not the right word because I don't mean to say, set it aside for a particular oh, case, no. but rather can they- can they title their scholarship so sure, sure. that it's you know it's it's coming from Baby Quest, but this is the the Janet and Tim Rodriguez exactly. Exactly. scholarship. Exactly, we have a company called an escrow. One of the surrogacy, one of the companies that many people use for surrogacy to put their money in an escrow account, Seed Trust, and they have adopted, if you want to call it, or sponsored recipients two or three times. We have a surrogacy agency, Abundant Beginnings, which happens to be owned by my daughter, who now is the surrogacy agency owner. They have sponsored a grant. We have a celebrity from Real Housewives of Atlanta, Kenya Moore, whose hometown is Detroit. And she generously sponsored two couples from Detroit. One will be having a baby next month. And her grant was the Giving Hope Grant. So definitely couples, some choose to remain anonymous, some want, definitely want to name their grant. And the companies generally, we have um, Brides for a Cause, which is a, a company in Seattle, based out of Seattle, and they have been very generous with sponsoring recipients. So as you start to grow forward, I imagine the board might change every couple of years or some seats stay on for longer. Are there, are there fixed terms? Do you have board needs now? What's that? The, the term is two year renewable if the person wants to. And many, fortunately, many of our board members have stayed on for quite a long time. I believe there's 18 of them. And we just recently added two new board members. It's always good to get a new infusion of ideas. And since our focus has changed recently to try to do more corporate outreach, some of our board members were not adding physicians at this time, but we're looking at board members who have some corporate ties that might be helpful. Speaking of corporate ties, have you noticed the demographics of the, especially the geographics of the patient population that you're awarding scholarships to start to shift? Because, you know, 10 years ago, you had very little corporate benefits, and now it's far more common. And in some marketplaces, it's more common than it isn't. And so as, you know, progeny and carrot and others that are trying to enter that race right a kind body as they start to broker benefits and now you've got facebook and google and amazon and microsoft right. offering those kinds of benefits are, are you starting to see different folks apply for the scholarships than you were some years ago not really no there's always a need and no matter what companies are offering insurance, 
which is wonderful if that happens, there's still a need. And we see so many nurses applying, fire, firemen, policemen, social workers, just, no, it, I wouldn't say that really has changed that much. And again, it seems as though we do get more applicants from certain cities, whether that's word of mouth, whether it's the clinics telling people, but some of the major cities, Philadelphia, Dallas, Atlanta, um, Los Angeles, Seattle, they seem, you know, those are cities where we get a lot of, of applicants. Proportionally, do you see far fewer from mandated states than you do mandated states? Um, not really. It be, well, yes. In one instance, I will say that, yes, Massachusetts. We just gave the first grant we have ever given to Massachusetts. Uh, it's a same-sex male couple from the military, actually, using a surrogate. And we, I would say Massachusetts, per, people in Massachusetts apply the least amount, number, in, in the least numbers of just about any state. No, that makes any populated state. I mean, if you look at a state like Montana or Wyoming, no, we're not, we don't get very many applicants from that. Sure. So how do you work with clinics? You know, my interest in working with clinics is always getting the prospective patient through the journey with the least pain possible, meaning the least, the least pain to them. They know what they're getting themselves into. They're prepared. The clinic has rapport ahead of time, the least pain possible to the staff. They have less resistance. They're getting less questions that could be answered ahead of time and spending more of their individualized time with the patient, actually individualizing their care and not doing redundant things and not causing more stress and extra work for them and at the financial end, anything that I can do to prepare patients to be ready for that discussion without giving them the wrong information ahead of time. That's kind of the hard thing, Pam, is when people want financial information. Well, you could tell somebody that the base price of an IVF cycle is $15,000. That is, even though you're trying to be transparent, that's not really transparent because one, they might need just timed intercourse and then you've just kind of scared somebody away that that just needs to see a consult, even if it's with an APP in your office, if, even via Zoom, like you've just scared somebody away from that. Or it could be somebody that needs a gestational carrier that's going to need a multi-cycle guarantee that's going to need donor gametes. And then and then you've and plus the meds. And then all of a sudden $15,000 is hardly a drop in that bucket. Right. And, right. And, and, you, and then you've totally bait and switched someone. And so what I try to do is get someone to think about, okay, this is where in the journey you are going to get the accurate information. This is how you are going to get it. This is how you are going to learn how to pay for it. And so preparing them of how they are going to receive the right information, as opposed to giving them the wrong information, what you do, because you really come in at that place between the second and third phase, between consult, before treatment, and it's for those that have gotten stuck in the financial counselor. That is that is one of the things in the arsenal that clinics have that I think they often forget about. And so can you talk about how you work with clinics? We generally get the applicants after they have a plan. And actually, because we can't do the research, let's say that somebody 
applies. And they say, well, we don't know what we're applying for. We don't know if we need an IVF or we don't know if we need an IUI, or we don't know for sure if we're gonna need donor eggs, you know, whatever. We don't have the manpower to go through 200 or 300 applications and help the person decide what they need. And we're not doctors to begin with. So we really take that applicant when they have a plan. That person has been to the clinic. In fact, okay, for donor eggs, for example, somebody who's going to need um, donor eggs or surrogacy, that person really needs to have a plan because if they submit an application to us and they say, well, we may need donor eggs, we may not, the price is gonna be 15,000 if we don't need them, 30,000 if we do, we, we don't have the manpower to call each person and say, let's talk about your plan. What's your, your ovarian reserve? What does your doctor say about this? What are the chance, you know, how many IVFs have you gone through? Have you had an egg retrieval and none of the eggs have turned, you know, been able to be fertilized? We get the person really when they have a plan and the plan is concrete. This is a person who has spoken with the financial counselor, has explored his or her options for insurance coverage, and basically has said, I'm going to either need to take out a big loan if I don't have the money, or I, you know, because I've been denied insurance coverage because my insurance coverage will only cover the diagnosis. It will not go one step further. So that's when we get the person. And so we have to proceed from that step of this person needs $9,000 to proceed because they have a little bit of cash that they can do. We will call the doctor if we love this person, if this person proceeds through all the committees and the different levels, and we come up to an application that is really wonderful with a personal story. And we're just so impressed with the person of they've spent $12,000 already on failed procedures and here they are, and they just don't have the money to proceed. We'll call the doctor office and ask if there is any chance, we've asked already, in the application, but we'll call and say, you know, you've indicated that you cannot give a discount to this patient. Is there any way we can get $500 off or $1,000 off so that we can help this patient and take that $500 that you give us off and give that to another, add that to another grant for somebody else? Um, anyway, that's the place where we meet the applicant. So how often does the clinic meet you there on, on a request like that? Less than 50%. Less than 50. Yes. All right. Well, that's why you're on the podcast because I want that number up. When we talk, I want it better be hearing right. everyone that's listening. That better be 75% next year. <laughs> Would be I want, nice. Yes. I want that number going up so that, that you can benefit more people. But other than that, so, so, you know, hopefully you get a little bit of a discount because then you can put that back and, and that. Exactly. total sum helps more people. But even if you don't get it, is, is there anything you really need from the clinic? Um, good communication, cooperation, as far as servicing their patient, returning phone calls to their patient, just being, being the clinic that anybody would expect them 
to be as far as customer service. As far as us, in fact, this just happened this week. Last Monday night, we told the six people who got grants that they had received a grant. The next day, we sent them paperwork explaining exactly what their grant entailed, how much money, what medications, if any, and everything. And then the procedure is we tell the clinic, your patient got a grant. You know, the clinic had filled out some paperwork because they have to for the medical part. And we tell the clinic, your patient got a grant. There are some clinics that we have worked with before that are a pleasure. I mean, the nurse is responsive. The business office is responsive. It works like clockwork. There are other times when the patient has received a written signed statement of this is what the procedure will cost. And all of a sudden the costs seem to change and they always change in the higher rather than the lower. We are their advocates. We will fight for them. It does not happen. So, so not a lot like the, you don't need much from the clinic. And so they are better off having you in their arsenal. Like, so exactly. exactly every clinic should have a, a number of these scholarships in their exactly. arsenal and and exactly. and you're one that has been among the more established and, and proven out and had longer tenures but there is no reason that every financial office should not have a list of these now the order in which yes. that comes in yes. we you know, there, you, you talk about where that comes in, but there is a last line of defense when people are like, well, I, we don't want to bring in people that are are totally unqualified. Well, you you let people make that decision as they go through the system, and you can get them some information earlier to to think about things. But there is a way to get people paid for from a number of these different scholarships and the better relationship they have with you. And the more they have, the more people they're going to be able to serve. I think one of the things that to me is so annoying is that, and this still happens after 10 years, I understand if this would have happened 10 years ago, but we'll get a personal story of somebody who applies has to write a two page story. And we've seen some of the comments in the stories, even recently, my doctor says this is a scam. My doctor said I shouldn't apply. Do you know that makes us even want to give that person a grant even more so that we can show the clinic that we exist. And it's, it's interesting that within the past week, even one of the clinics mentioned to one of our recipients, a very skeptical, well, how in the world are we ever going to get paid from them? And it's just amazingly easy. Let's say that somebody that we've told the person that we will pay $9,000 of their clinic fees. They come to the day when that patient needs to pay the $9,000. She's at the clinic or she's going to go there tomorrow for her baseline or for her egg retrieval, depending on when the clinic demands payment. The clinic picks up the phone, calls our office. I answer or somebody answers. I give them a credit card on the phone. They charge the credit card and that's it, period. There is no thousand pages of paperwork. There's no bureaucracy. There is somebody else with a credit card paying the bill for the patient who couldn't afford it. 
Did I say 75% when I said that should be the number of centers that give you a discount when you ask for it? Yeah, with that number it ought to be 90% by next uh-huh. year. Because because guess what, Pam? They are already doing that with the insurance companies who are beating them up, with the corporate benefits companies that are beating them up. And, and so maybe, I mean, that could be reason. And people are slammed, especially the last year and some change fertility centers are slammed. And so I could say, well, why should we do that? It's like, well, because partly if, if the need-based reason isn't good enough for you, which I hope it would be, but if it isn't, because of what Pam just said, you're not fighting these claims. It's talking to BabyQuest on the phone and getting a credit card number. What's, what's interesting is we have, I could actually get it out. It's a one, what we send the doctors or what the doctors have to fill out. When somebody applies, they print our application from the website. They fill out the 15 pages of financial information and education and profession and insurance cards and insurance information and all that. And then they have three pages they take to the doctor. Two of those pages are medical, four pages, I'm sorry, assigned HIPAA form um, authorizing us to be able to see the medical information. Two pages of height, weight, BMI, how many miscarriages, what's their A count, what's their AMH levels, a semen analysis, that kind of stuff. And, and the, the recommendation from the doctor, what procedure do you recommend that the patient do? And the last page is a letter that says to the doctors, we are going to, if this, if, big if, and it's in bold, if this patient is selected by BabyQuest to receive a grant, will you match our grant, give a certain amount, give a dis- discount of a certain percentage, or are you unable to give a discount? And that business manager checks that we're unable to give a discount so fast. And a lot of times they'll make up an excuse. Oh, our prices are already low. Obviously, they're not low enough that this person is going to be able to afford it without a grant. So that's, and we reiterate in the last paragraph, this discount that you're allowing the patient to have is only applicable if this person is selected for baby quest. If this person is not selected by us, it's your decision. You don't have to give them a hundred dollars off or five hundred dollars off or a thousand. You know, it's only if they're selected. But it's really easy to put that check mark there. And these are people who have spent, this has happened. at a clinic and have had no results. And they're asking for a discount of $1,000, $500, you know, and it's almost a crime to me that. Yeah. And in an instance like that, it would be much better, especially if they've already spent a lot of money without, success. And the fact that you're, you're not asking for one, some allows some discretion because frankly, there are some centers that are a lot more expensive than others. And and some, there are a few out there that have really done everything to be economical. We've had some of those folks on the, the podcast and, and they almost have like a different model, but, but that it allows them to have the discretion of saying, well, you know, even if it's pretty cheap, it's like, especially if they've already been with us a couple of times, could we knock 
couple hundred bucks off. And, and if we are on the more expensive side, then maybe you do, maybe you do knock some more off. And that's where you, what, one thing that I'm thinking, as I'm thinking about this, Pam, is I've advised people not to really be so much in the middle on pricing strictly from a positioning standpoint, not an access to care standpoint. If it's an access to care standpoint, it's it's entirely within the heart of the, the physician, but I still would recommend perhaps channeling that difference to something like this. And here's what I mean by positioning that the, the low cost IVF, the affordable IVF model draws people based on that, but the middle of the road doesn't. And so in the middle of the road on pricing, very often you're just, you're just sacrificing your own margins and you're not elevated in, in the eyes of the patient. But if you feel like, well, I I want more people to access care, this is something else you could do. If you didn't want to take the middle of the road on on the position, but you are still feeling saintly and you want more people to have access to care, you could be applying that, uh, the wins that you're having in the margins or the safety that you have in the margins there to discounts like this. Well, I, I won't say that it is across the board bad. I mean, our board members, our own doctors who are on the board have generously when, and we don't want to overload them. We, we never would send more than one person, I would say a year, two at the most, a year to the same clinic, because we're not saying, oh, you have to be our clinic and we're going to send you a ton of, of patients because we don't want to overload somebody who is giving us a discount, who's generous enough to be doing that. But on the other hand, sometimes it's hard to understand that if, if this is a really great person who really needs the, the IVF and has a great chance for success, and this person is not going to be able to proceed with treatment, wouldn't the clinic be happy to give $1,000 off and say, oh, we get a patient versus the patient is not going to be able to afford it if, if they don't get a grant. Yeah, well, well, some of them might. What if some of them want you to slam them with a, with a couple of cycles? I'm, I'm thinking most probably wouldn't with how busy they are right now. But I'm thinking of, there was one market that we did two groups. We, we evaluated two groups this year in the same market. It's a very competitive top 20 market growing. And that's an area where you've got really large competitors. And especially if you feel like, well, maybe we're not converting as many people we should be, maybe this is an angle for us. Right, right. Yeah, it's just, as I said, you know, it's very disheartening to open the application, find a great application, somebody who's really put the work into the application, poured their heart into their fertility journey, and to see that that there's no cooperation. And that does not mean that we won't give them a grant. And people will say, well, does it mean if, if our doctor is not willing to give us a discount, does that really disqualify us from getting a grant? Well, obviously, it means means we have to pay a little bit more for their procedure, but it does not disqualify them. Sure, we'd love everybody to be able to get a discount from their doctor, but it's not going to happen. And we're not going to disqualify somebody because we need to give an extra $2,000 in a grant because the doctor won't, won't do that. But then again, 
If a clinic will give a 20% discount, which usually comes up to about 2000 on the phase that, I mean, we understand clinics can't give a discount or cannot promise a discount on the anesthesia, which isn't that expensive, but they can't promise that because that's out of their control. It's independent. Some clinics can't discount the facility fee. They don't have their own facility. But those clinics where they do have their own facility, and it, we ask if they can discount the physician and the, the facility fee or the physician and the lab fee if they own their, their own lab. And that if it comes up to a $2,000 discount for a patient, it's fantastic. It really helps everybody. Well, I hope you get a few more uh, discounts be between Thank now and next year. Maybe maybe someone's listening that would be a good fit for a board member, maybe a, a couple donors. Pam Hirsch, thank you so much for coming on Inside Reproductive Health. And thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You've been listening to the Inside Reproductive Health Podcast with Griffin Jones. If you're ready to take action to make sure that your practice thrives beyond the revolutionary changes that are happening in our field and in society, visit fertilitybridge.com to begin the first piece of the fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Thank you for listening to Inside Reproductive Health.